Philemon, as time went by, he actually hosted the the Colossian church in his home. We see that in Philemon verses one and two. And Epaphras, after his conversion, he was he became the evangelist of the Lycos Valley that we talked about last week, where the city of Colossae was located. And then, of course, because of that, what's going to typically happen when you got somebody sharing the gospel through an entire region? What's going to typically come about? Well, persecution, sure, but that's not what I was thinking. Pardon? People are going to be saved, and then the result of that is a, a revival of church. Yeah, a church is going to pop up. And Epaphras, as we see, he becomes the pastor of the church of Colossae that, that springs up. So it's, it's natural, though, as, as um, was it Ashley that said, you know, that there's going to be persecution, Alicia, that's going to come through that, right? And, I, I, you know, is it interesting to you, it is to me, that why... Whenever you are planting a new church somewhere or even in a church that's been planted for a while, why in the world is it that people can't be okay with you just having your church? Why is that? What do you think? You know, I mean, this, a major problem comes into Colossae, this brand new infant little church. You know, Epaphras is just doing his thing, going around, sharing the gospel, preaching, you know, on Sunday mornings, I suppose, and, and, and all of a sudden, problems. Why? What do you think? What's behind that? I mean, why can't you just plant a church and be okay? Politics. All right, politics. What kind of politics? Church politics, certainly. But what is that then? Somebody wants to rise up and be, you know, better than you, you know, well, um, what do you think? I, that, that just runs through life, though, doesn't it? You know, like I've got, a, uh, I've got a, a, a Toyota. You might have a Nissan. You know, well, I'm going to rib you because Toyota's better than Nissan, right? And doesn't it just filter down through the church like that as well? Why? Why is that? There's a, there's a particular word that seems to come up about every week in here. Pride, yeah, you know, I mean, isn't that something that you can't just simply plant a church and everything be okay? Um, so what's behind that? Of course, our flesh and, and our pride comes into that. But I think, you know, there's, a, there's an instigator there as well, right? I think Satan, the evil one, he doesn't want that to take place. So he's going to try and find ways and he is going to use sinful man to accomplish his purposes as well. So the particular problem here came from false teachers who were propagating Gnosticism. And that's not a word that, you know, we throw around every day. So I looked into that a little bit. I told you last week that this problem was broken kind of into two categories. You had the pagans that were stirring things up, and then you had the Jewish ceremonialism. And the two of those come together and now we've got this group of people called Gnostics. And this, this was a group of people that, that saw themselves, considered themselves. That's a problem right there when you're considering yourself, right? But they saw them, themselves with superior knowledge. 
you know, that, you know, I have superior knowledge over you, therefore you, the lesser little Christian, you know, I can help you attain deeper spirituality. Well, what's the fundamental problem there? We'll see next week in verse 9 where Paul starts praying for these people to, to have the knowledge of God. All right, so where does that come from? You know, if the Gnostics think they got this superior knowledge and they're going to teach these lesser Christians more about God, where does the true knowledge of God come from? Does it come from a book? Does it come from uh, an academy? You know, it doesn't, does it? It's a gift from God. I mean, isn't that awesome, though? Now, certainly books, schools you know, should be in helping enlighten us and help us gain more wisdom and understanding and knowledge of God. But ultimately, it's a gift of the Spirit of God, which is so awesome to me because then you can go to the poorest region of the world, the most uneducated region of the world, and you can have a man or a woman that is more godly than anybody that's graduated from the top universities in the world, right? Because it's God is the one that is imparting that wisdom and understanding about what? Yeah, about him, about Christ. I mean, what did Jesus say in John seventeen three? I can't remember, but I remember the verse. <laughs> right? That's, that's the reference. Um, he said, um, uh, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Um, you know, so the knowledge of God comes from God himself. And so that right off the bat should show us that we shouldn't be listening to the Gnostics, right? And the, the word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. So these people were the people in the know, right? The spiritual elite, as they thought of themselves, they held as their basic doctrine, though, listen to this. this. This would be a red flag for any of us right off the bat. They held as their basic doctrine that matter, anything that's physical or created, was evil, and that only the Spirit is good. So because of that, they reasoned that God could not be involved in creation, right? Because creation is matter. So you can't have God there if... If, if it's matter. And because of that, um, the world, they would say that the world came into being through a complicated surrogate process as God put forth thousands of emanations or lesser gods, little g gods, each of which was a little further distant from him so that finally there was an emanation, a little god that was so distant from God that it could touch matter and create the world. Now, what's wrong with that? For one thing, it's just bizarre, isn't it? Somebody say something? Yeah, I mean, think about that. You know, that doesn't that just kind of, at least for me, it falls right in line with anything that goes against the Scripture. For me, what I'm thinking of is, is evolution, right? I mean, if you start to think that somehow... Some bang happened somewhere in the past, and then this this happened, and this little tiny thing, you know, crawls out of some water. Some, I mean, really, 
Yeah, I mean, that's just so much more bizarre to my uneducated mind than God spoke. You know, if he's this almighty creating being, then... So, you know, right off the bat, these Gnostics are coming up with this bizarre teaching. And they said the lesser God of creation was so far removed from the ultimate God that it was actually evil. And this reasoning led to the belief that Jesus Christ, if he really was the Son of God, could not have taken on a human body because human bodies are evil, because all matter is evil. And that delusion spawned these Gnostic romances about Jesus as being uh, just a ghost. He was a phantom. So now you got the phantom God. And they Gnostics would say that Jesus was not the creator, the incarnation was not real, and Christ is not enough for your salvation. Therein lies the big problem, right? That's the biggest problem of the whole thing. So this is a system um, by which one could begin with Christ and work your way up this series of emanations to finally reach the true God. Now, in this system, as, as the book of Colossians spells out for us, and we'll see over the course of the next few weeks, that this uh, system consisted of, first of all, false philosophy. And we see that, let's read Colossians 2.8. That's where that comes out for us. Um, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to what? Human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So right off the bat, you got this false philosophy, which though claiming to have been discovered, to have discovered secrets, and, and even it goes on in verse 18 of seeing visions, it denies the preeminence and the all-sufficiency of Christ. Now, what in the church in 2017 would be an equivalent of this? And it's huge in the church. Not ours. But <laughs> what? It starts with a P. Well, that, but more in line with this um, philosophy type thing. Starts with a P, ends with a Y. Psychology, right? You know C.S. Lewis uh, screw tape letters. Have anybody ever read those? You know, there's one of those starts out. Um, it's a great. If you've not read it, please do. It's a tiny little book. Um, the chapters are each chapter is kind of a separate story, and each chapter is only a couple pages. So you know you can read it while you're sitting at a traffic light, pretty much. But um, maybe not. But Anyway, there's one in there where Uncle Screwtape, he's, he's the devil. And, and uh, Wormwood is one of the demons that is underneath him. And the, the demons are assigned people. So Wormwood is writing to Uncle Screwtape because one of his, I think he calls him patient. One of my patients has become a Christian. And what shall I do, he asks. And Screwtape writes back, whatever you do, don't let him be just a Christian. Make him a Christian and. Now, when did C.S. Lewis write that? You know, in the 
late 40s maybe. And I mean, think about that. A Christian and psychology. A Christian and. So now what are we doing? We're, we're saying that Christ isn't enough, right? That you got to have this other tag on there. And um, that's what was going on here in Colossae. You had this this philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. Is psychology according to human tradition? You know, absolutely, right? So um, we got to really guard against that. And Paul states that the reason why he sets forth the greatness of Christ is that there are those who, who deny it and who are trying to delude others into denying it as well. Well, this system also, as I said last week, included... Um, Jewish ceremonialism, and that attached special significance to the rite of circumcision, food regulations, observance of such days as as pertain to the Old Testament Jewish holidays. Um, Now, keep in mind, some of those things in the Jewish ceremonialism could be okay for us in the church today if we're not attaching some kind of special blessing to that. I mean, everybody knows, I think it was the Mayo Clinic did a side-by-side study of the Jewish dietary uh, laws and good eating. And no doubt, you know, this is a healthier way to live. But it doesn't make you any closer to God because you do that, right? I mean, I don't care how unhealthy it is, I'm going to have some bacon from time to time. But Nonetheless, uh, I mean, it is what it is there. But Paul, really in in chapter 2, verse 17, he calls these things shadows, meaning that they've lost their significance because of what? The object that is now casting the shadow, which is Christ. Christ is the object. That's what we need now. Well, another uh, part of their system that Paul lays out for us, and we'll see all these in a lot more detail as we go through the book. I just want to kind of lay the groundwork for you of what's coming and why he's writing. You know, Epaphras has has come to him and and saying, we got all these problems in the church and here's what they are. Well, the next one was angel worship. And of course, that can detract from the uniqueness of Christ, right? Um, do you know anybody that worships angels? You know, what do you think? I mean, have you been in somebody, not to pick on the ladies, but, you know, a lot of, I don't know that I've ever seen these in a man's office, but I have been in women's offices where they got all the little, fat little chubby cherubs around, you know, and those are their little angels that are watching over them. But I don't know that you need to say, you know, get rid of those idols and, <laughs> yeah. But there was a real problem with angel worship here. And, and again, look at chapter 1, verse 16. He, uh, uh, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So we know that Jesus Christ created these angels. Um, so we don't worship them we worship the creator of them and then another thing that's included in their system is asceticism we see that in chapter 2 verses 20 through 23 if with christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations 
do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These things have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. No value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is the contrast to that. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So, this ascetic treatment of the body, you know, this is harsh treatment of the body, and and Paul exposes the futility of that and gives the real answer is in Christ. And, you know, with what my job is in, in counseling, and in particular people with addiction problems, that chapter 2, verse 23, where it says these are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I mean, think about that. Paul is saying that these man-made things, this, you know, jump through all these hoops and you won't do this or go do that, that that's what he's talking about here. All of those things, you know, like for a pornography addict, you know, put the filters on, you know, maybe all that, you probably need to do all that, but if you're relying on that to keep you from looking at pornography, it's not going to work. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Why? Because if the flesh is going to indulge itself, it's going to indulge itself no matter what kind of protection you make it, right? In the aftercare program of His Steps, we've got some suggested guidelines. Those are good. They're guidelines. But they, if a guy wants to go do what he wants to do, he's going to go do it no matter what you put in place because the indulgence of the flesh is going to do what it wants to do. And that's why when he starts in chapter 3, you know, if you've been raised with Christ... Right then, seek these things that are above, or seek the things that are above. That's the real killer of the flesh. Right, is to be so radically focused upon God. You know, when I said to a guy, this was a really interesting conversation I had with a guy the other day. Um, he was um, he was doing some repair work at the ministry house, and and he's a Christian and. And so he said, let me, let me ask you a question. And I said, okay, sure. And he asked me this question, and, and my answer to him was, um, well, the problem with what you're saying is you've got a high view of man and a, and a low view of God. And I said, let's, let's turn that around. And we started talking about that. Started, I started exalting God above man for him, and it was really neat, uh, I had a meeting I had to get to, and, you know, he was, it was really engaging, you know, and he's like, brother, we're having revival right here, and he, he said, give me a pen and a paper, and he starts writing stuff down, and all I simply did was exalt God, and that's what Paul's doing here, but we get so wrapped up in our manness, you know, like, because think if you, if you set up a series of hoops for yourself to not sin, and you jump through them, and you don't sin, what do you feel like? Ah, oh, man, Tim, yeah. I can't reach that far, but you know, the pat on the back thing. 
right? And then what are we doing now? It's all about me, all about me. But if, you know, if I listen, I'm on the threshold of sin, and I listen to those small promptings of the Spirit in my life, and I don't sin, and I have victory over that sin, then I can high-five the Holy Spirit for giving me the power to not indulge my flesh. And it wasn't some man-made thing. Now, granted, those of you that are uh, parents to teenagers, you know, we you got to have some guidelines there, to, um, or even young kids. I guess they don't have to be teenagers. But the point for us to remember is that the false teachers... By, by riveting so much attention on the man-made remedies uh, for rela- so that the Colossians wouldn't relapse into paganism again, were in reality denying the all-sufficiency of Christ. That, that's the point I wanted to get at. So today, what are some of those things? I mean, legalism, right? We've all heard that, the list of do's and don'ts. Johnny, you can't. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Now, what is Johnny going to do when you lay it out like that? He's going to do it, isn't he? I mean, y'all got small kids. I know some of y'all do here. Don't touch that case. I'm telling you, don't do it. And as soon as you walk away, what do they do? Boom, they do it. Did that command keep them from indulging their flesh? No. What What would you guys... How would you... How would you... What is legalism? How would you define that? When I was first saved, I heard that word. I was saved late in life, had no Christian background. So all these words, I didn't have a clue what they were. So I kept hearing legalism. That's legalistic. What in the world does that mean, you know? What, how would you define that? If somebody told you, because I've had people say to me nowadays, that faith community church, there's just a bunch of legalists over there. They take the fact that we put such a high priority on the scriptures, people interpret that as we're legalists. I don't know if you've heard that about our church, you know, um, but that's out there. If, you, if, you're a, if you're a high emphasis on doctrine today, you're a legalist. So what is that? What is legalism? Bingo. And where was the first time, I asked a guy, the guy that actually started Faith Community, mentored me years before Faith Community was even on anybody's radar. We were all at another church, and he was one of the pastors there, and he was mentoring me as a young Christian. And I asked him, what is legalism? And his answer was very similar to that. He said, it's when you add to God's word. And he said, the first example of that was in the garden when Satan said, I mean, when Eve said, Satan said, you know, you can't eat it and don't touch it. Did God say anything about touching it? No. Right? Now, there might be some wisdom in not touching it, you know, because that's the flesh is that much closer to it at that point. But, you see, that was legalism added to God's word. You know, so what's one of the, you know, being a Southern Baptist, what's one of the ones that could pop easy on legalism? Well, John Michael went like that. The drinking, of course. I was thinking even more basic than that. Dancing, right? I mean, some of the older people in here, Southern Baptist churches, you don't dance, right? I can remember, I kid you not, my wife was in the choir at this church and and um, <clears throat> and the music director was bringing some dancing on the stage. 
And, uh, I mean, they melted down. Now, we probably wouldn't dance, you know, now, but if you go out with your Valentine's Day on Tuesday, guys, right? Everybody says yes. It's Tuesday, yeah. <laughs> February 14th. Uh, there you go. Trader Joe's has roses are going to be like 13 bucks a dozen. Don't spend 50. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, then you got money to go to Waffle House if you, the difference. But um, I lost my thought. The dancing, right? Is, doesn't the Bible talk about dancing? Now, you know, some of the dancing today, I mean, that could be a little lewd. You don't want to do that. But, I mean, certainly, right? That's legalism. That's adding to God's word. And my wife's got somebody that she talks with every now and again. And in the course of conversations with this gal, Kit will say, well, you know, the Bible, da-da-da-da. And this girl, I kid you not, says, don't counsel me. You know, and it, it aggravates my wife. You know, she'll say, well, when did quoting the Bible become counseling you? You know, I mean, this girl's a Christian, you know, and so she looks at that as legalistic. If you break open the word of God, you're being legalistic, you know, so um, do's and don'ts, if you will. So all this is an alarming message that Epaphras is bringing to Paul. He's in prison. He's hearing all this stuff, you know, and I imagine his brain's about to explode, you know. Oh, my poor brother Epaphras, let me help you. But Paul, in his brilliance, and remember where he came from, right? That's key in this whole thing as well. But his brilliant response uh, was this letter of Colossians that we have today. And in it, he, he presents Christ as the creator, Christ as the all-sufficient redeemer, and in, in probably, you know, arguably, I guess, uh, in, in the highest terms found anywhere in Scripture, the way he unfolds this for us. So it's interesting to see also that Paul didn't directly attack the Colossian church, but he began with this introduction which actually celebrated them. And, and this was really quite typical of Paul's teaching in the way he wrote, in the way that he canceled. He, he characteristically praised the churches before dealing with them pastorally. Why do you think that's important? I mean, you do the same thing, hopefully, in your parenting, right? Why is it important to do that? To, to praise, to build up um, before dealing pastorally or parentally. Why is that important? What do you think? Sure. Yeah, I mean, if you come out of the chute pointing and whipping, you know, you've lost it, right? You got to, you know, there, there's, I don't care how wicked and evil the person is, there is something, a, a quality that you can, you know, give them some, some edification with, right? And, and particularly, you know, like if, if I've got a new counseling case Friday, you know, and I've been looking over the stuff, and I'm telling you, looking over the stuff, the applications that Pastor T gave me, I've already drawn a conclusion, you know, I shouldn't, but, you know, so I could enter that counseling session 
and, and it's a, uh, and, and I could just lambaste this person. I mean, I've got guns loaded based on the stuff that's written on that application. I mean, baby, all I got to do is get the 12 gauge out and drive you somewhere with it, right? If I did that, do you think they would come back? Absolutely not. I had a guy a couple, well, it's been five or six years ago now that came to me that was an active homosexual, flamboyant in it, Everybody in the world knew it. His mom asked me if I would meet with him. He was also a chronic alcoholic. And so I called the guy. I set the appointment, not the guy. He wasn't going to call anybody. I called him, and we began to talk. And he said, well, obviously I know that my mom has talked to you, and I I know that you know that I'm living this lifestyle and I know that you're a Baptist counselor, so I know that you don't agree with this lifestyle. So if you're just going to beat me up with all of this, there's no point in us getting together. And I said, why did your mom have me call you? And he said, well, because of my alcohol problem. And I said, exactly. And that's what we're going to talk about. Now, I've shared that with somebody else before. And, oh, I can't believe you're not going to talk about that other thing. You know, and but... If I, he just told me, if we're going to talk about that, I'm not coming. Right? So, what hope do I have of getting some of this into his life if he's not with me? Now, granted, it's not just me. He could find somebody else that could do that. God's going to use a donkey if he needs to, to get his point across. But, so my thought was, well, we're going to talk about your addiction. That's why your family wants us to get together, and God's Word is going to accomplish its purpose, right? So he said, you mean you're not going to talk to me about my homosexual lifestyle? I said, no, we're going to talk about addiction. And and he came, and he didn't like what I had to say about addiction, but we met you know, five or six times. But my whole thought with that was, if I bash him about that lifestyle right out, out, right away, He's never coming back. So if I'm going to have an audience, you know, now I'm not saying please don't hear me say that that we're going to lessen the severity of somebody's sin. I'm not talking about that. But we have, Paul was so, um, crafty is not the word. He was so skilled at knowing how to deal with people that he praised before he, attacked, if you will, or praised before he got to the uh, the real heart of why they were having problems. So Paul's uh, heartfelt commendation rose really from the miracle which had taken place there. And he realized that. You had this poor pagan people without a God, which then means they had no hope, and now Christ is working in their midst. And Paul knew that. He'd seen lives to begin begin to change, and some remarkable things begin to happen. So he he starts to unfold that for us. And let's look at verses one and two, chapter one, and see how he starts to approach this for us. He says there, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. So we see right away that Paul's an apostle. What is an apostle? Pardon? A sent one, yeah. A representative of Jesus Christ, a sent one. Um, 
I don't think it's there anymore, but right up here in Holly Springs, there's a church there that had a sign that said the apostle so-and-so. Wow. So are there apostles today? That's my question. No. No? Right. That's one of the qualifiers. They were, when Drew said sent one, they were sent by Christ himself. Right? So... That's why you'll, you can be reading some stuff and it'll talk about the apostolic age. You know, that's the time period in history when there were apostles alive. They were sent by Christ. So that's right. Paul is, you know, he represents himself as being an official representation of Christ himself. So through Paul, since he is a sent one by Christ, it's really Jesus Christ that's addressing the church, right? Are you okay with that? I had a guy recently in in the program that I'm telling you, he didn't agree with that because when I showed him something in Scripture that um, he didn't like, he said, well, that's Paul writing that. That's not God. You know, and I so... Are y'all okay with that? Are the words of Paul the words of God? And how? And what w- verse of Scripture would you use to show somebody that? All right, and where is that? Got to have the address. <laughs> that was one of your memory verses five years ago, John Michael. It's supposed to be memorized. Second... Amen. <laughs> yeah, right? So all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. Does that mean all scripture? So when Paul is writing, the Holy Spirit of God is guiding so we can pick up the word of God and know that it is God speaking. And I'm telling you, this guy looked at me and he said, well, I guess I just need to leave the program. And I said, What? And, and, I mean, it was over something really silly, too. Um, but it, nonetheless, it was black and white in my Bible. And because it wasn't Jesus, it was Paul, so it wasn't red. It was, but anyway, <laughs> same, right? Like, I remember um, I saw a Bible years ago that the whole thing was a red-letter Bible. And that's really how it ought to be if we're going to say, you know, it's really the Word of God, right? So, so Paul is 100% representing Jesus Christ when he writes this book and or letter. And Paul had received his difficult assignment to be an apostle from Christ himself. right? And uh, we could look at a lot of those passages in Acts, in Romans, in Galatians, where uh, Paul's conversion, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with those. And, uh, you know, talk about a drastic conversion, right? But he continues there in verse 1 and says that this is by the will of God. So he had attained his high office by divine preparation. Look uh, real quick, flip back a couple pages to Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. This divine preparation for Paul. Uh, Galatians 1, 15 says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born... And who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. So Paul was set apart for God's work 
before he was even born. But think about what he did from the time he was born till the time that God actually converted him, right? He was set apart and qualified by God and the activity of God's sovereign will in his life. And I mean, I don't know the age of any of y'all's salvation here, but think about how horrific of a life you lived prior to being saved, and yet we know, that, like Paul, that we were set apart before God ever even created the world to serve him. Do you ever wonder, why'd you wait so long? You know, do you ever think that way? What would, I was saved at 38, and I'm, I was a bad person. And, and I think, you know, well, what if, right? But what are we doing there? Second-guessing God, right. You know, so to me, the what-if is a horrible question that I have to squelch in my life. The better reflection for me is praise be to God that look what I was like, and yet he set me apart before he even created the world to be one of his children. That makes my salvation more glorious, Right to doesn't it to know that I mean I was secure. I, I often wondered how in the world do you make it. You know, matter of fact, the guy that led me to Christ asked. He he said, well, he couldn't believe that me and Kit were still married. You know, because we went to high school together, and I used to party with him in high school. And you know, here I was thirty eight, and I run into him, and he shares the gospel with me. And at my first meeting him, he said, "Are you still married to Kit?" You know, like, there's no way that's true. You know, I said, yeah. And he's like, wow, you're kidding. So, um, you know, it's that's how glorious God is. And I hope you, when you look at your conversion that you don't think of, you know, wow, I would have been this or that if I'd have got saved when I was eight instead of 38. Or, But no, look and reflect at the glories of God and what he's done. So Paul knows that. He was an adult when he was saved, and he saw how he was converted. He knows what he did before because he shares it in the book of Acts over and over of how he persecuted God's people in the church and tried to kill it and shut it down, and and God saved him anyway. And then he hears of these problems in the Colossian church here, and he just glories in Christ knowing what God has done and then he takes it upon himself to write like this by the will of God to uh, bring about change to the problems that are happening in the church at Colossae. Well, he also adds in in, uh, verse 1 there, and Timothy, our brother. Uh, And that's not surprising because evidently Timothy was with him. It's not Timothy writing because he says... um, uh, well, it's later. He says, <laughs> I don't remember where it is, but he says, I, Paul, write this. But he adds Timothy here. Timothy had spent time with Paul in Ephesus during his third missionary journey. And calling Timothy our brother, you know, that's emphasizing the closeness of their relationship. And you remember the, I mean, he, he calls Timothy his son in other places. You know, he was deeply um, involved and tenderly involved in the life of of Timothy, um, and they all had the um, uh, same bond in the church. 
right? They're all children of the same father, all living uh, under the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. So they're all one. So when, you know, I mean, we are brothers and sisters, right? Every one of us. Matter of fact, I've got sisters, I don't have any brothers, but I've got sisters that aren't, aren't Christians. So if you're in this room and you're a believer, then you and I are, I'm your brother if you're a female and you're my sister and brother to brother for the guys, right? That's awesome, you know, and that's how Paul saw these people. You could see when he thinks and relates like that, if we are truly brothers and sisters in Christ, then for all of eternity, we're all going to be together. Isn't that awesome? You know, I wonder what you'll be doing in 10,000 years from now. Hey. <laughs> well, that'll just be so cool, won't it? Did you ever think about heaven? You know, and what we're going to be doing there? Um, Randy Alcorn's got this book on heaven that's really good, but it's really big. And I found this little tiny one by him. It's like a snippet, you know, where it's got maybe, I don't know, 10 or 12 topic, you know, just little bold topic chapters, but they're only like three pages. You know, what will we be doing with one of them? Or will we be bored? You know, and, you know, when you think about the new heavens and the new earth that we're going to be living on, it's going to be, you know, not this one. This one's going to be uncreated. There's going to be a new one created that we're going to live on. We're going to be doing stuff, right? Stuff, you know, I, stuff you like. What do you like to do, right? I, I mean, but there won't be sin. Can you imagine that? It never gets dark. The light, light of Christ will keep... You know, Paul, I think, when he writes these churches, he knows all that stuff, right? He knows what it looks like. And he's spent time with Christ and knows what it looks like. So Paul alone is the one that can, is the real author of this. We talked about last week that... I think we did. At least I read about it. You know, there are a lot of people that say maybe Paul wasn't the author. But, I mean, how do you... in Chapter, look at verse 23 of chapter 1. That's where I was going to show you a minute ago. I couldn't remember where it was. It says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You know, that Paul's showing that Timothy wasn't the minister there. It says, I, Paul, not Paul and Timothy. He is considered to be the real author of this letter. So he'd never met them, but yet he calls them saints and faithful brothers in Christ, which uh, I think is very purposefully exalted language. So we'll stop there, and next week we'll talk about this idea of saints. My mom is a uh, is Catholic, and and you know she talks about saints and. We talk about saints, but they're different, different things, right? So we'll stop with that this week. So anybody have any questions or comments? In that instance, in the particulars that I'm thinking of with that, is when you use the Bible to answer life's problems and you use the Bible for you talk about the Bible too much, you're a legalist. That in that that I mean that's dead wrong, right? You know, if if legalism is adding to God's word, then how could 
used in the Bible, but in that particular situation, that's what this particular person uses. Um, you know, people that, I, I don't want to use the word heavy, but people that are, let me say it this way, people that are doctrinally sound by the general church are considered legalists. You know, those same people would call John MacArthur a legalist, you know, or um, uh, Paul Washer, you know, those people that are really preaching the gospel and people that are saying, you know, that the truth that Christ said in John fourteen six when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me or through me, you know, that, you know, well, that's just way too narrow. You're a legalist to think that those are the kind of things I was referring to with that. Anything else? I would think some, some not even think that if you preach the Bible verse by verse, you'd be maybe legalistic in your eyes. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. Which is totally bizarre to me. Yeah. All right, thanks for your time. We'll 